Welcome to Just Joy Conversations, where I seek to unite, inspire, and enlighten regardless of what you look like or believe or who you love, one conversation at a time. Check out my introductory podcast on JustJoyConversations.com to learn more about my vision. tuning in to the third podcast episode of Just Joy Conversations. Today, we're going to be talking about something that we've been hearing a lot about within the the recent weeks and months, um, and that is the topic of mental health. We've had mass shootings, we've had people committing suicide just in general, and we're going to dive into it from a different perspective. We're going to talk about the mental health and faith connection. So today we have four very, very good friends of mine and wonderful people and very knowledgeable people that will be having conversations from a different perspective that you might not have heard about before. So let me introduce them all. First, we have Pastor Scott Larson. He is from, where's your little town again? Newton, Illinois. Okay, from Newton, Illinois. And we'll get everybody's contact information at the end of the podcast because I know that there is something each of them is going to say that will make you want to be in contact with them and ask them more additional questions. We have Dr. Tom Edwards from the Buckeye State, Columbus, Ohio. Dr. Edwards, uh, tell us a little bit about you. Well, I do quite a few things, like many pastors. I'm bivocational. My non-pulpit church job is church consulting. So I get to work with churches and pastors and denominations around the country. I also consult with school systems and governmental entities. Okay. And Pastor Scott, I didn't ask you about yourself. I just asked you where you live. Tell us about yourself. I'm a pastor of a little bitty church out here. It's it's way out here in the middle of nowhere. There's probably more cows than people. Uh, I pastor a little church. I'm a single parent, five kids. And I also, during the school year, I'm a cook in the cafeteria. So I get to see most of my kids during the school year. So that's pretty much it. There's a lot going on out here. There's a lot of people out here that need Jesus for sure. So uh, that's what I do. Awesome. Okay. And Pastor Lockett. I don't even know where to pinpoint that you are located because you're always <laughs> all over the place. So. Right. <laughs> right. Well, listen, I'm just grateful to be at this time in my life doing positive things in my life. How would I say socially and philanthropically? And it's been a great thing to do it all spiritually. And so I'm excited about being here today. We'll hopefully get into some other things that we're doing to make a better world by making, helping people have greater peace. And so let's see if we can do it. All right. Well, let's dig right in. I mentioned in my opening conversation that there's so much going on that we hear that mental health is being attached to. And so my first question, and this is for all of you, is, It's been said in many of the mass shootings that we've had being blamed on mental illness. So what what is your thought about that from a pastoral perspective? And Dr. Edwards, we'll start with you. Wow. (laughs) I've worked in the clinical environment for almost 10 years. I worked in juvenile psych and adult psych as a milieu therapist. Then I became a social worker in the adult prison system and a case manager. And when it comes to classical mental illness, I think at the point that someone is actually shooting someone, they are mentally impaired, not just mass shooters. It's part of human nature ever since the fall of man with the influence of Satan and sin. I think there's some type of mental psychosis that's involved in someone taking someone else's life. Now, is mental illness the only reason? No. There are mentally ill people everywhere in the world. And so 
Is mental illness a contributing factor? Absolutely. Is it the primary factor in mass shooting? I would say no. Okay. Pastor Scott, what are your views on that? Uh, the mass shooting is interesting. I just, I'll tell you what I said from my pulpit on Sunday. Well, first of all, I believe mental health is so layered. There's so many things involved in a person's mental state. It could be, it could be affected by diet, hormones, all this, you know, so many things. But this is what I told my church. I said, when someone takes a gun and walks into a school and kills that many children, first of all, shoots his own grandmother. I said, in my opinion, it's that's purely straight evil. That's not somebody having a bad day. <laughs> that is, in my opinion, the words I use, I said, I think it's demonic. It's demonically inspired. What would make a person do that? And, of course, this guy, from what I understand, had no previous diagnosis. Some of these guys in the past, they will say, had a diagnosis of some kind of psychotic tendencies or whatever. But this guy didn't. And so how he got to that point to make a decision to want to do that, I mean, only God knows. But... But I, it's, it's just hard for me to believe that someone just snap and just do something like that from a few chemicals being off in their head. I mean, because in just to give you my background, I've been I got a whole history of mental health. I got 62 scars on my arm from measurable age. No, I got I've been in the hospital for suicide. I've, I've been down that road and never once did I ever think of taking a gun and walking into a school and shooting children. <laughs> so. That's kind of my take on that particular situation. But is all mental health spiritually inspired? No, I don't believe that. But that was a severe case there. So, Okay. And Pastor Lockett, what about you? Well, one of the things that I believe and looking at it, and I, and sometimes when I hate that we have to always apologize for who we are and how we think because we know it's sometimes antithetical to the way everybody thinks or would like to think or worldview. But we must acknowledge that there is, I always tell people like this, is the Bible true or is it a lie? And were there not demonic influences or were there not? And if the answer is at all a yes, then we must also contend it's so easy to write stuff off as mental, and there are some challenges, as pastors have said, yes, but I think to give it a broad stroke and just make it all mental then undermines what I believe really is at the heart of some of these disturbances that we cause. And so I would say, or to answer your question, I would just say it's not all mental that we must have a consciousness, especially a demonic understanding of things that are happening in our world as well. And the Bible says even that things will wax worse. And so the Bible just saying that everybody's just going to lose their mind. And let me just say this, trust me, I don't want to minimize uh, mental health and wellness. I don't want to do that at all. I just traveled a lot of different places and guess what? this is what I discovered. And I said this to, to some of the people that were with me. I said, yeah, there's a lot of mental health issues, I'm sure, in the world, but it can't be as many as we might want to make it. Why, why did I say that? I just went at a restaurant. I just grabbed a salt shaker and just put some salt on my food, grabbed pepper, put that on my food. How many people have you heard just dying all around America because some crazy mental person put something in the salt shaker? We sit, the salt shaker goes unguarded. When we think about all the things, look at all these tall buildings and cliffs. And people not just walking down the street. Do you do you hear about proliferation of people just walking out in the middle of the street? And so we have to kind of really look at this thing in a very broad perspective, yet at the same time, try to narrow in and focus on some of the causes or underlying causes. But to solely say that it is just a mental issue that we suffer from would be solely wrong, in my opinion. Thank you for that. I'm going to have to go back and rewind the salt shaker analogy. <laughs> Try to put that together. But that, that's why I love you. So thank you. Thank you for that. And we now have Dr. The Reverend Dr. Terry Hill has joined us. Dr. Hill, thank you. He's from Dayton, Ohio. He is a pastor, but he is also a doctor. And don't let me mess up what kind of doctor you are. You can tell us that. What is your... Special. I specialize in substance abuse and mental health counseling. 
the question was with all the recent mass shootings and things that we're hearing about people, um, what are your thoughts about mental illness being the blame for all of it? I think mental illness, we can attribute to some of it, but not all of it. I, I think we're dealing with a lot of people. I mean, first of all, I think we need to operationalize or define mental illness. Are we categorizing mental illness as the DSM-5, the Diagnostical Statistical Manual, would label it? Or are we also including people who are or have become more angry and enraged? So I think we have to first look at those two situations because I think they're entirely different. You can look at people and say, well, they were upset and they got into an altercation. So therefore, they went outside instead of fighting physically, they use a handgun and, and they just shot five or six people in a moment of anger. Can we contribute that to a mental illness? Or can we just say, hey, you know, uh, that's just someone who had become angry or enraged and didn't have the proper communication skills to work through that situation. So again, do we say, well, that's a mental health issue? Uh, no. A mental health issue would be something as a clinician, we would delve into that client's history and we will say, okay, this, this client was diagnosed opposition to find disorder at a very early age, or they were diagnosed with a conduct disorder. And so we have evidence of them acting out in school, acting out in a home, acting out in the community, killing pets, and then that behavior progressing into antisocial personality disorder. And as a result, these are people who rob banks, people who have no, who lack the ability to uh, empathize with people. So you have to really look at the individual's history and the underlying sentimentology. But you just can't randomly say, oh, there's a huge mental health crisis going on in America because there have been a number of shootings. And so we as mental health professionals who have been in for years, we kind of sit back and scratch our heads. Uh, well, that's not necessarily the case. In my opinion, it, it could be some combination of it, but I wouldn't attribute all mass shootings to a mental health disorder. Okay, now you dropped some dismissisms and some DSM-5s, and so anybody listening to this podcast, feel free to go back and rewind and look up some of these terms that you might hear. So I just had to pick with you about that. And that's why, Sister Joy, it's so difficult for someone who commits a criminal act to plead the insanity defense mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there has to be a history of diagnosis. And from working on the criminal justice side, it is very difficult. Now, did I have inmates in my units that in the moment of passion, because you have crimes that are, that, that are crimes of passion, anger, there's no history of pathology of continual anger management issues. So especially when you're dealing with a juvenile in this case, if he was never in the system, there's no previous diagnosis. For journalists or for politicians to diagnose now, on our side, we left that, the diagnosis, to the clinicians. It's hard for, for society to attribute um, diagnoses of causes that they really have no clue what they're talking about. Right. I agree. Absolutely. Okay. Well, there were four distinct things that I wanted to talk about, but it seems like this will actually work well with people just talking and chiming in with what your viewpoint is. So, Pastor Scott, you had mentioned when you were talking to me about mental health that we do have to look at other forces that are at play in some instances. And I think everybody has touched on that a little bit with that same sentiment. So let's just dialogue about that and give me your thoughts about what exactly you mean by that and what are some ways, if any of you have to actually see or be able to tell the difference between a mental disorder, demonic things that are in play, and how do people tell the difference? That's a good question. 
I really can't say that I have an answer for that, but for my what my experience has shown me in like counseling people, talking to people, praying with people, if there's a demonic spirit involved and you start praying for somebody, it'll start manifesting. It's just like one thing I've been thinking about lately in the Bible, when Jesus stepped in and worked miracles, or as far as casting demons out of people, those were severe cases. You had a guy living in the cemetery, cutting himself with stones. Okay, you had a boy that threw himself in the fire. The parents didn't know what to do. So he stepped in and healed them when there was no other options. Uh, but I think what happens a lot of times is, because I come from Pentecostal circles, is so I'm talking about my own people when I say this, but they say it's all demonic. And so they're trying to throw oil on people who just needs to get to a counselor or a therapist. You know what I'm saying? So like when I'm talking to people, I don't necessarily look for a demonic spirit. But what like the first time I ever preached in my life at, at a church, it was my home church. I was home for a spring break and I was just up there preaching on evangelism. This woman that I know knew very well, a young woman at the time, she started approaching the altar. And without even having a thought, I mean, I didn't even think about it. I went up and I grabbed her by her face and said, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And she started doing the exorcist right there on the floor, spitting up stuff and everything. I had no experience with that. Well, so we had to take her to the back and we ministered deliverance to her. But I wasn't looking for that. She got delivered from crystal meth and all kinds of stuff. And then she ended up in the long run going back to that lifestyle. Now she's worse off than she's ever been. They come back. So what that taught me is it can there it can be a thing, but th this is one area that's not even getting addressed. And it's especially even in churches. I mean it doesn't get addressed. We we think it all can be fixed with a pill or a therapy session. Those things do work if it's not demonic. Years ago I heard this statement that and I'll end with this. He said a, a guy said you cannot cast out the flesh and you cannot counsel out a demon. <laughs> and so as far as how can you tell, I don't really have an answer to that. I just know uh, just when you, you counsel people or sometimes you're just praying with people at church or even in your home, sometimes probably the Holy Spirit, I don't know, but sometimes what's inside them, if there's a demonic spirit involved, is not happy. And you'll, you'll have them come up and say things like, you ain't getting her. We've had her her whole life, you know, and stuff like that. I don't go look for these things, but if there's something there, most of the time, it's going to just come up. Me and my passion, we don't go sitting down trying to look for demons. You just talk to people, counsel them, try to give them advice. And then you hit on something. It's like a push button. And it's like that demon rears up. But you just deal with it when it happens. You don't necessarily go looking for it. If that makes sense. I don't know if I made yeah. sense. Or Anybody that's listening, I know, you know, there are going to be some people like, Joy, what kind of crazy people are you, are you talking to today? <laughs> but the whole point of Just Joy Conversations is for every perspective that people have that people may not have heard before in their life to at least take a listen and go back and check it out for yourself. And you will find, I think everybody has seen The Exorcist and most people believe that the Catholic Church does go and do exorcisms. So this yeah. is really no different what we're talking about. Does anybody else have something that they would like to add to that or disagree with? We could do that too. I just think that we need to take a rational approach to it. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places and so as a result of the damic sin the original sin we don't look at things that occurred on a molecular level or a physiological or biological level but it says that all creation failed all creation failed all creation failed so i think it all has to do with disobedience it all has to do with acts of disobedience. There are only really two, and a lot of people will disagree with me, a lot of my professional colleagues, but I think there are only, I won't say two, but there are just a few organic mental illnesses. And what I mean by that is a lot of forms of depression, for instance. Depression deals with past-oriented experiences. Anxiety deals with future-related situations. 
And so a lot of it has to do with our thought life. How are we thinking? A lot of illnesses come as a result of us not thinking in a very healthy manner. Bible says to be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and with supplication, let your request be known unto God and peace of God will guard your, 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 uh, your hearts and your minds. I've never seen a righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And so when you stand on the promises of God, a lot of people talk about Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, but Paul was the greatest cognitive behavioral therapist that the world has ever known. He said to think on these things which are good and just, you know, so it's about your thoughts. It is spiritual orientation, but as the pastor has stated, we blame too much on Flip Wilson, you say the devil made me do it. <laughs> um, you know, we put too much on, a, on, on on Satan. And so I think a lot of the uh, mental illness, it is at the base spiritual, but I think there's not anything that the word of God cannot conquer. And I, I think we overly do it when we should not be focused on it. And we underdo it when we should be overly focused on it. I know not everybody that is going to listen to this are believers. So we'll tackle that at the end. But I would be interested to see as pastors how you guys summarize some of the things that you're saying when you are trying to get people to follow Jesus, but might show up and say, I'm depressed or, you know, I'm bipolar or I got schizophrenia, like, how do you talk to those people then? Pastor Lockett, did you or Dr. Edwards have anything to add about that? I have personal experience and two situations I will share. First, my father, when I was in the sixth grade, began to exhibit very unusual behavior. He had a series of strokes. He had high blood pressure. But all of a sudden, he began to become um, very homicidal. He threatened to kill me, tried to kill me a couple of times, and I had to run away from home to the church to hide out at night while he slept. Eventually, he called us all sinners and said that he had to be separated from this world and us. So he went down to his underwear and moved outside of the house. And he began to exhibit this really odd behavior. He created a very big social scene, threatening neighbors with knives, threatening to cut his head off. There was a lot of things that he was doing. Eventually, my sisters in Florida, they have a, a law called the Baker Act, which allows for three days observation for a person. You get two family members or two close relatives to be able to attest that this person is exhibiting certain symptoms. When the law, when the sheriff's department, no, the, the hospital came to get him. They sent two attendants and he beat the two attendants up. They sent the sheriff's department at him in his underwear. He's almost 60 years old. He almost kicked the doors off of the car of the sheriff's car. They got him to the hospital, put him in a straitjacket. And the doctors um, told us after several days, this went on for maybe about eight months before he was finally institutionalized. He was diagnosed with manic depression, which is now called bipolar disorder. He never really exhibited the highs or the manic aspects of bipolarism. And he never really seemed depressed. And we saw him in the rubber room. This is back in the 1980s. So it was actually a rubber room and a straitjacket, foaming at the mouth, screaming, different voices coming out of him. And after 45 days, they released him, said that he was able to manage his life. He was out for two days. He had a call. He went back in. And we knew it was demonic possession. When he came out the second time, he said, I finally got the strength to call on God to get free from this. And he eventually became born again. It was a very stressful time for me being his son because I was the object, the main object of his wrath. I don't think it was manic depression or bipolarism. It was definitely demonic influence involved in what was going on with him. The voices, the screaming, the very erratic behavior that goes beyond any diagnosis I could see from any clinical report. The second case, I had one of my best friends who had more of a case of temporary manic depression or bipolarism in high school. He was very depressed because of rage. Looking back again, as Dr. Hill said, the depressive issues of rage, family history of, of, of achievement, and then all of a sudden, the euphoria, the week of his suicide. He became very, very manic, almost completely 
cheerful to a point that he had never been that cheerful before at, before in my experience. Now, I'm only in 11th grade, did not have any history back in the 1980s. There was no teaching, no instruction, no counseling in schools around suicide. And at the point of complete euphoria, the next day he took his life. So I can see a clinical pathology in that. It was not a situation where he was demonically possessed. He was depressed. He had anxiety about his future because he thought he would be a failure in comparison to his brothers and sisters. He told me all of this. After this, I started counseling and volunteered for Suicide Hotline, eventually got in juvenile psych because of this, because I wanted to work with people who were suicidal. So I did six or seven years in suicide wards. I've only came across in all of my years in suicide counseling, only maybe two, two or three truly possessed people. Most were depressed. Most had anxiety, but the few that were possessed, Thorazine, could not control them. Two doses of Thorazine could not control one young man. He was, after, after going through an episode, he buckled a gurney and was panting after eight people got him into a restraint room and had to be sent to a state mental hospital because he was, he was too uncontrollable controllable for our mental institution. And so you see those rare cases when you know you need to call a priest or call a preacher, someone that's going to go through some real deliverance. But most people are, when they experience those type of um, situations, it's depression. And then when you see the euphoria, that's a, usually a warning sign that something's about to happen. Because euphoria, extreme euphoria after extreme depression, that's not normal. Thank you for that. And I think... What people need to understand is something that I think is actually something you enlightened me with, you and Dr. Hill, is the fact that anxiety is about the future and depression is about things from the past. So that is actually something that I hope people listening will take a thought about it. Like when you're depressed, why are you depressed? What is it in your past that is causing you to feel so down? And then maybe letting the past go can be a simple solution or a step forward in the right direction, I guess, to overcome these felt needs that you guys tend to on a daily basis. Pastor Lockett? I will say in regards to what we've heard, too, I'm going to just kind of hang out here because I believe that medically, here's how I'll say it. I'll stay right here because I believe everybody's going to medically figure out a way to resolve it. So theologically, I just want to stay right there and just say that I believe that they say marijuana, alcohol, I'm just naming drugs. One of the problems that they have with them is not necessarily their danger, but they are generally what they call gateway drugs that open you up to other drugs. And so one of the things that I really believe is that there's a demonic influence that then opens us up to all of these other things that you've been hearing about even on today. The Bible says, and Jesus really dealt with mental issues, maybe on three occasions outright, we know. Uh, I heard Pastor Scott say it. Uh, there's the man and Gadaria, the and the Bible just says it was a crazy man because he was irrational to all of the social norms and all of the social requirements and responsibilities. He ignored them, even threatened self-preservation because the Bible says he was cutting himself and, and he was erratic all day. And it's not something, it was not on occasion. It was all day, every day, up, down, and found comfort in the tomb. Now, I don't want to get into liberation theology. There also is a format too for some of his anguish. And so I believe it's a stew, a gumbo effect, but I believe that there is a demonic influence that then acts as a gateway towards other behaviors that one could either be medically challenged or what have you. But I, I don't want us to overlook that it's that. And if it happened, because this is what's interesting, if it happened in the Bible in Jesus' days and it was mentioned in our Bible that we read for these days, then why are those days no more these days? And somebody has to answer that. Are, are we beyond that? And we know that these things occur 
And uh, let's give you Jesus. Uh, he does the he does the man in Galilee. He does the boy in Mark nine. And the Bible says in Mark nine, and it starts off says, and there's a spirit in him that's leading him to do these things. That's trying to kill him, and his causing him to throw himself in the fire. The Bible says there's a spirit in him that's leading him to do these things and it's causing him to kill, trying to kill him, trying to kill him. And we know that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But there's another person that we don't talk about as it relates to mental health, which I think is interesting that we don't know Jesus approach. We don't know his method for dealing with this particular issue. We just see the results of it. And the Bible says there was a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene, the one that he had cast seven demons. We know he cast seven demons out, but we don't hear how bad she was or how things were going. We don't have the account of where it happened. We just have the reference that it did happen. I guess I said all of that to say this. And all these other men of God and all these other professionals that are on this on this podcast definitely will give you some of these other things that we can explain some of these things with. But I dare say that we got to have an understanding of that demonic presence. I still believe in medicine. I believe medicine. I believe medicine can do something. I, I believe medicine. Uh, God gives wisdom to doctors and he gives he gives a wisdom and knowledge to scientists. I, I believe that. But for us to default to that solely only, I like what Pastor Scott said. You come right up. There's some, and people will freak out. Just what he said, people will freak out. You go and say, come out. But it's interesting how it is that when people get delivered, we want them also to be delivered a certain humanely way. When theologically, there, what, may, what may need to happen may be something that may be embarrassing socially, but it does something for them spiritually. So I'll hang out right here for a moment and I'll be that voice uh, for the rest of this podcast. Though I believe that there are things that we can do to help improve mental wellness and health. Okay. And when, I, when we were talking one day, I think you were telling me about when people do drugs and then they hallucinate. Yeah. I, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Now, oh, now see, now, now you would, now you're baiting me, but I'll do that. But uh, <laughs> I believe that these drugs on the, on the reverse open us up to uh, a spirit realm, to those high places, to those prints. I, I, now the only good thing I can say about this you can't tell me I'm wrong until we get the glory. So I can st- I can still believe that I'm right because can't nobody tell me I'm wrong until we get to the glory and we open up the book. Then you, but then it won't matter. But for now, you can't make me believe that they don't hear somebody. The Bible even talks about these other spirits. We talk about Saul and we talk about there's a whole nother communication that's going on. And they were able to tap into these mediums. Now, people look in the Bible and say, well, that ain't real. That ain't real no more. I don't know. I I believe it is. And so I think it's two together. I believe that demonic present opens us up is the gateway into some mental illness. And I believe that there's some mental illnesses and drugs that opens us up into a demonic realm, a demonic realm. And they do hear voices. I'll take it one personal. I'll go a little deeper. My aunt. And now back in the day, and I don't want to go too far, but she had some mental challenges. And I'll never forget as a little boy, I, I heard these stories. I was laying next to her in the bed. And then in the middle of the night, she just was pouncing me into the bed, just pouncing me onto the mattress. So, I mean, she wasn't hurting me, but she was just pressing me down. And she says, there's all these snakes in the bed. You follow me? That was the kind of beginning of her mental demise. But I've long since, and I heard somebody said already, you know, like disobedience and life and thoughts. I think all of these things open us up to a realm that physically, the only way we can try to understand it rationally is by giving it a medical term. Now, let me just shout y'all because I'm a preacher. Now, when I hear a name, I used to get upset when they call it bipolar. I used to get upset when they call it all that. But now, prophetically, I'm glad that they give it a name because no matter what we do medically or whatever we do to try to resolve one, the moment we give it a name, it has to subject itself to one name. 
Now, with all these preachers, I, I should have got a hallelujah right there from somebody. No matter what name we give it, once we give it a name, it has to then subject itself to one other name. And there is no other name above the name Jesus. No, no other name. Uh, cancer ain't above the name of Jesus. Depression. Ain't de every, everything that has a name has to bow down to that name. So, yes, you're, you're right. I do believe that there are some drugs that take us into a spirit ram and there's some spirit rams that that make us require drugs. Okay. Thank you for that. We need some we need yeah. to, where's the organ. Where's the offering plate? Yeah. <laughs> uh but I, I do have to ask Dr. Hill, what what are your thoughts on all this so far since you are the doctor literally in regards to in mental illness? What agreeance, disagreeance yeah, I, in between? Well, I think Pastor said a lot. Now I think one thing here, here over in the Western Hemisphere, we we're 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 probably man centuries behind Eastern culture and Eastern civilization because they still believe in limbs growing and so forth. Things that occurred back when Jesus was walking miracles, they're still happening all over the world. They're at a standstill in a few churches here over over here in America and Canada and so forth. But those things that occurred back in the second century, they're still occurring today, very prominently, in fact. Secondly, we can't discount this. A sermon lived is way more effective than one preached. And not enough people are living the word of God. See, we, we can quote scriptures, but can you live it? Mm -hmm. And we have to start loving people unconditionally because uh, the 95% of the mental illness comes from trauma-related incidents, be it a burn uh, into a person immediately through them seeing a, um, a murder or robbery, hearing about a murder or a robbery, PTSD, or sexual abuse, physical abuse, things of that nature, emotional abuse over a period of time. And so uh, just like schizophrenia, that has to do with, it's, it's rooted in trauma, mm -hmm. rooted in trauma. If we begin to, to actually live the word of God, a lot of the mental illness would decrease uh, significantly because you're not going to run from a person who appears to be overly anxious, filled with anxiety, or appears to be overly depressed. You know, they're not going to be shunned. They're going to be loved. And so as a re direct result of us living out the word of God, Loving people unconditionally, that's going to ultimately decrease the number of people that we see who will be experiencing mental so, illness. Okay. So it starts with the church. Again, uh, Ephesians 6 and 12, we wrestle not again flesh and blood. And it ends with the church, us loving people unconditionally, loving people with the same grace and unconditional love that Jesus uh, extends to us on a daily basis. I own and operate a substance abuse and mental health clinic. And I deal with clients every day who are diagnosed with co-occurring disorders, substance abuse, primarily opioid addiction, uh, fentanyl, and then the uh, amphetamine addiction, which would be the meth, and then the, the mental illness. And so we work with them every day and we see, we see what unconditional love the effects that it has. We're not quick to discharge. They don't show up for group for two or three days. We don't just discharge them blindly. We actually accept them back in. And, and so we're seeing huge results of people putting the uh, drugs. And it all starts, uh, our definition of recovery is an act of changing your thinking that leads to a change in your behavior, which that comes from, again, the Apostle Paul, think on these things. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be anxious for nothing. So it all has to do with that cognitive behavioral approach. Same way that we, we stand on the promises of God through faith, we've got to be an example to those people that we want to uh, see those behavioral changes. Uh, Michael Jackson said it starts with the man in the mirror. <laughs> okay. So when so. we see us doing those changes, they're, they're going to... Uh, be more inclined to, to want to make those 
change. It's about transformation, not about reformation. The prison system, they, they make an effort to reform behavior. It's not about behavioral reformation. It's about transformation. It's about going from a, a caterpillar to a butterfly. And so that's that's what we're trying to uh, encourage and inspire. I, I forgot that getting a bunch of pastors on a call may have some long-winded moments. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. But I love what you said. Basically, you were saying love covers a multitude. So right, that's definitely absolutely. a good way of looking at it. But we actually can segue over because you said looking at the man in the mirror being pastors, does that man in the mirror sometimes have mental challenges, not necessarily in the clinical sense, but how do you care for yourself mentally, like mental health and your self-care? What does that look like for a pastor or do you even do it? For me, I, 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 I just got finished speaking, but for me, it's understanding my identity in Christ, understanding who I am. Uh, I know I'm not a sinner. I've been saved by grace and Christ died for my past, present and future, quote unquote, sins. And so I don't run around here uh, uh, feeling any guilt because God don't give me a spirit of fear. God gives me power, love and a sound mind. And that's not an excuse. Paul made the argument in eight, uh, Romans eight and one. Uh, should I sin that grace man bound? And Paul comes back and says, well, God forbid, that's ridiculous. And so we we don't use that as, as an opportunity to do what we want to do. But but we use that as, as an opportunity to continue to live our life and not feel depressed and not feel anxious. And again, to be an encouragement to other people, including myself. Uh, I, I don't I, I just don't have to run around feeling anxious or depressed again, because I, I, I quote those scriptures. I stand on the promise of God and I'm foolish enough to believe that that stuff works. Well, uh, don't stop believing. That's that's my life mantra. So we should never do that. Pastor Scott, have you tell me this? Do pastors get depressed? Do you guys feel anxious? I know the says don't feel anxious about anything, but can I get a down to earth, honest moment from anyone on here about what pastors? Yeah, I uh, I mean I deal with this. Uh, quite often, actually, but normally with me, like I tell my church, sometimes you just need to take a nap because if I was to tell you my schedule during the school year, I'd get you stressed out. I mean, it's just crazy. Okay, I'm working at the school, five kids, being a pastor. I mean, it's just usually it comes from being burnt out is where it happens with me. I've just had enough and I just I need some rest or whatever. And then when you're like that, that's when your thoughts start spiraling out of control. It's when you're you're tired and burnt out. So, yeah, I have those moments a lot. My kids even sometimes they'll say, "Dad, you need to go to therapy." You know, so so I mean, it's not a it's not a cakewalk by any means. Uh, I question often. I've even I question often why in the name of God did you put me in this role? So, it's not easy. And then you got a uh, you know the pressures from the church. You got backstabbed quite a bit being a pastor. People talk behind your back. I mean, it's it's just uh, there's a lot that goes on being in the ministry. I tell people all the time, if you're not called to it, don't do it, you'll crack. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have moments like that quite often. I would say at least once a month. At least once a month, I'll have, I call it burnout mode. And I'll just kind of, for three days, I won't do a whole lot of anything. I'll go to work. I'll take care of my kids. Maybe just kind of decompress, read a book or something. But normally there's, there's something that's triggering. And a lot of times it's being burnt out. Maybe not uh, taking care of myself the way I should, get enough rest, not going to bed at a good time. Sometimes I'll stay up all night to do stuff, and then the next day I'll just be exhausted. Uh, so, yeah, I have uh, very human moments. I mean, people that think that pastors walk around talking to angels all the time, it's <laughs> not how it is. Uh, we uh, we struggle just like everybody else. We're just trying to do what God put us here to do, and uh, we You're have ups and downs like everybody human. else. Yeah. Dr. Edwards, I know you know a lot about this and there's stats out there that talk about during COVID, I believe it was 30% of pastors actually were ready to just give in the towel and give it up, like totally walk away from ministry. And we do sometimes put pastors on a pedestal. We think that you guys are like Superman, Luke Cage, but it is refreshing to know that you can 
feel just like we felt and just like Jesus even felt. So thanks for being transparent. I had an episode when I was much younger, how anxiety can cause a, a nervous breakdown. I left college. I dropped out at the behest of the Holy Spirit. I was out of order. I knew God wanted me to go to seminary out of high school. I was offered a scholarship. I took the letter, the scholarship offer, and I burned it. And instead, I enrolled into a liberal arts university to become a politician and a lawyer. And after three years of struggling, not academically, but just struggling to live because I was out of order, the Holy Spirit led me to drop out. But during my exit interview, the academic counselor told me that I would never succeed in my life. As a young African-American in the South, the only pathway to economic vitality was a college degree. And those words echoed in my mind so much that I really had a breakdown. And at seven months, my mind began to implode. I didn't shower, didn't shave. I just stopped living because I thought my future was over. And I, I couldn't see myself being successful. I, I tried to get employment, could not get employment. And my sister, who was powerful prayer woman, came into my room one day after I was hitting walls and just complaining to God. And she said to me, just so calmly, how long are you going to do this to yourself? And I was about to curse her and curse God. And all of a sudden, I heard the Holy Spirit said, she's right. You're doing this to yourself. And that light bulb came on that I allowed myself to have those thoughts. The Holy Spirit could allow me and empower me not to have those thoughts. And instantaneously, the anxiety, the breakdown ended. When I took a shower, shaved, brushed my teeth for the first time in seven months. And that showed me, gave me a lot of compassion for people who deal with their own minds, being trapped in the future, being trapped in the past. And so I do a lot of counseling with pastors. I consult, but most of my consultation is counseling. I'm looking at this survey here. The vast majority of pastors feel overwhelmed by their responsibility. 60% feel lonely. Almost 70% feel annoyed. Almost 70% feel burned out. 55% feel unequipped for the moment. Nearly half want to quit. And so you're dealing with all of these issues, and there's so many issues around. They feel that ministry is, is hurting their family and their marriage. Pastors, because of the environment, we are Satan's biggest um, target. Satan knows that if he can attack the pastor, he can, he, can, he can ruin the pastor's family and undermine the church. And so pastors can be very cognizant of the demonic activity that goes on around them, but also the role it plays in mental health. Now, let me give and give a disclaimer. I am highly into deliverance. I have been involved in many demonic exorcisms and deliverance sessions. I am the person that they call, and I call it triage because I want it, because I have I have friends who are clinicians. They work in the clinical field. And so when I go into a situation when someone says this person is possessed by a devil, highly discerning. I'm a spirit-filled person, but I also have a background from working with clinicians. And so it's my job, I believe, by the Holy Spirit to assess where to send this person. Do I send them to the person with the oil, which is usually me, to cast out a demon, or do I send them to a clinician to get counseling? And, and I would say in the vast majority of my cases, there are always some type of demonic influence. There's, there's satanic conversation, oppression, that leads to depression. But when it begins to get to a place of possession, when someone is completely possessed by the devil and they're no longer in control, and there is that exorcist moment when there's pea soup and and the head is spinning and the eyes are rolled back. I have seen all of that. Have no fear of that. Cast out the demon, deal with that. But in other cases, some people just need some accountability, need someone to talk to, need a friend. It's not a demon. Same way with houses. Some houses are Emilyville Horror type of houses. Some houses just need to be torn down because they are just in poor condition. And so I think as men of God, we need to be subjected to the Holy Spirit to figure out and to discern what exactly is going on. Because I have a pastor now, his family thinks that he is possessed. They think that he's having a clinical moment, that he has, that he's clinically 
may be going through a bipolar situation. I think it's more demonic influence. It was adultery. And, and there is an unrealistic view of self and a lack of responsibility. I know it's satanic influence. And so, so it's a balance between the two. Does he need counseling? Absolutely. But this pastor, after committing adultery with a member of his congregation as many years as his junior, he needs deliverance. And getting him to that place to accept either is a journey. This has been good, but Pastor Lockett has been quiet. I know you said you was going to sit there in a certain place, but. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I was just waiting. I was waiting, you know, because I can do the whole hour. So, you know, I can do the whole hour by myself. So I just want to be mindful of, of all of these experiences and illuminations and all of these situations. I will just say this. Can a pastor have these feelings or experiences? And the answer, of course, is yes. I'm trying to, and I'm one of those ones that don't believe in us over-spiritualizing things too. I really, I'm like that too. I mean, it's funny how God is just kind of, I got a weird balance. I, I, I can't explain it. And so, but I'll, I'll say it like this. I have to tell myself, and one of your pastors on here tonight said it, it's got a lot to do with your thoughts and your and your thinking has a whole lot to do with your depression. Here's what I tell people. I say, you know what mental abuse is? Mental abuse is when you think the negative is more probable than the positive. And especially depression. And I, and I tell my congregation, and I'm challenging them. Now, I'm not saying they don't need counseling. I'm saying after we get through this, and if you go through this metric and you still there, okay, now we need to go to the next step. But sometimes this is that. Sometimes that one step or application may be the thing that helps them break free. And, and I said, and depression, and I always tell people that's too low, that we should never, ever. And, and again, I know people are going to say, oh, you, you, you just, you've been too spiritual. But I'm telling you, there's a, there's a physical manifestation that comes about with this way of spiritually thinking. That you should never get, whenever you get below the grace line, you're too low. You're too low. And people say, what's the grace line? That if anything is removed from you or anything that happens to you that makes you feel that God's grace is no longer sufficient, that's too low. And so when you begin to feel that way, you got to get back up at least to the grace line. Now, because mental or I say depression in some sense, because I heard y'all say depression is past and anxiety is future. And I can see that too. But existentially, if I get fired today, now I'm, I don't have anxiety about my future. I'm, I'm depressed about what just happened today. And so it's, it's, it may be this, this cocktail. But here's what I say. I say, when you see yourself in the future and you think that where you are presently will not change in your future, that's, you know, and I do it. I actually do it kind of like the reverse. That's depression. When you don't, when you see yourself in your future and you don't look any better, you don't think you're going to be any better than you are right now when you're present. That can bring about a depression or a feeling. And some people may say anxiety. And I guess, you know, you can existentially split the hairs there. But I really believe, and I'm telling you now, I may have a unique perspective. I'll just, I'll share it like this. Watch this. This is going to be interesting. I've been in full-time ministry my entire life. My entire life. <laughs> full-time ministry my entire life. From a teenager to right now with two wonderful kids and, and all these things that I'm doing, social justice organization. I mean, just my entire life. And one of the things, and, and it's not that it's not been hard, it's been rough. I, I've had, oh, I've had those moments. But I will tell you, faith, watch this, three things, speaking, hearing, and walking. And sometimes you can't do them all. Sometimes you have to say it until you can walk it. Sometimes you got to hear it until you can speak it. And sometimes you got to walk what you, I mean, but those three combinations, if you can stay in two of the three, I'm telling you, I don't want to put no bet on it, but I'm telling you, uh, you will come up and you will be more successful. Two of the three, faith cometh by hearing. What are you hearing? What are you hearing? I mean, is the Bible right or the Bible wrong? Faith cometh by hearing. 
and the just shall live by faith. And we walk by faith and not by sight. So that's what is. And then we got to learn how to speak faith. And I'm telling you in my life, and this is it. I'm telling you in my life, those three things have helped me through some things that I might would have needed medicine for. And I'm again, I'm not knocking medicine, but I'm sure I was real close at times. But those three things elevated me, two of those three things each time to a different level of understanding and an outbreak or how would I say uh, progress. OK, go ahead, Joy. I'm sorry about that. But I want to make sure I get that in. No, thank you, Pastor. Well, we're, we're going to close out because we, we are at about time. But before we go, before we close out, could you you want to share? I want everybody on here to share how people can get in contact with you, how they can follow you on social media, or if you have a live streaming service, how can people get in contact with each of you? And Pastor Lockett, we'll start with you since you spoke. Okay, okay, great. Well, thank you all so much. Thank you, Joy, for this joyful occasion. I've met some new pastors who will be added to not only my prayer list, but my fellowship list. And I look forward to meeting them and even getting to know them beyond this podcast. So thank you, Joy, for bringing us all together from our various walks of life. So if you're listening to this broadcast today, and I'm sure you are, here's what I want to do. I just want to pray for you. How you can reach me, I want you to reach me through prayer. Maybe you're going through something. Maybe you're dealing with something. And that something ain't a little something. It's a lot of something, at least in your mind. Here's what I want you to do. If you want to reach out to me, and I want to reach out to you in a very uh, profound way. I want you to do this. Get your cell phone right now. Hurry, hurry. Get your cell phone. Come on, get your cell phone. And I want you to text to 844-939-0452. I want you to text to the number 844-939-0452. And what are you going to text to that number? You're going to text the word prayer. And let that be our introduction that I just want to be able to pray for you and pray with you. And then from there, we'll see where God takes us again. Text the word prayer, text the word prayer to 844-939-0452. And let's begin to fellowship one with another. All right. Thank you so much. Sean. Thank you, Pastor Lockett. Mm-hmm. Dr. Edwards. One thing I failed to say earlier is um, self-care is very important. Resting, taking Sabbath time off, just taking time to just commune with God. Um, It's very important to overcome this. To contact me, it's very simple. You can just email me. It's Dr. Tom Edwards, that's D-R-T-O-M-E-D-W-A-R-D-S at live, L-I-V-E dot com. Thank you. Dr. Hill, I don't know if you have any you are in Ohio, but I don't know if you help people abroad or what, but how can people get in contact with you? Because you dropped some very big words that people might need to find on a one-on-one level. <laughs> I mean, even me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate that. Yeah, they can contact me uh, on my personal cell phone at 937-380-2418. And we can make a referral in the area of need uh, in their area. If it's mental health, if it's substance abuse, if it's case management needs, uh, whatever the need is, we can, uh, we can, we can make a referral or we can just take some time out of our day and, and uh, maybe delve into some, uh, some more immediate issues. If they're feeling suicidal and or homicidal ideation with the, some sort of plan or something, they feel free to contact me on my cell number again. It's 937-380-2418. Thank you. I'm going to have to welcome. in too. <laughs> Pastor Scott. Uh, yes, probably the best way to contact me is through email. Uh, that's scottlarson116 at gmail. Or I have Facebook. Uh, just go to the search bar and, and type in Scott Larson, Newton, Illinois. Or my phone number is 217-994-3163. If you have any questions about anything we've talked about, just give me a holler or anything else for that matter, and uh, we can talk to you. So. Thank you all, 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 all so much. I don't know 
how we all got together, but I think it was divinely planned. And so I'll make sure all of you have each other's phone numbers and things to contact each other. So thank you so much for tuning in to Just Joy Conversations. And we will have another episode soon. And that will be about love being blind, but America, not so much. Take care, everybody.